welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Okay, if you'll turn your Bibles, please, with me to Luke chapter 19, or if you want to grab one of the Bibles in front of you in one of the seats there, it's page 1117, Luke chapter 19, or page 1117, either one of those. We're going to be talking about in this series, as we kick it off, and as Brian had laid it out, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry today. And really this whole last week of Christ has got so many awesome elements to it. And I'm really excited over the next four messages as we go through this and just get to enjoy looking at the last week of Christ. And I encourage you, take some time. As believers, the awesome thing is is that we get to celebrate Christ's resurrection all the time. It's not just something we do once a year. But this is a special time of the year where our attention, and these are unique opportunities. Easter and Christmas give us some really unique opportunities where people oftentimes are more willing to talk about Jesus and who he is and what's taking place and why we celebrate the way we do. So I encourage you to look for and pray for those opportunities. So how do we get here? How do we get to this spot here that we're going to be starting with in in Luke 19, verse 28. We've got to look at what's happened before that. What happened right before that? And so you look at, you really have to go back to the whole Gospels then. Jesus was making this huge impact. He'd healed the sick. He'd raised the dead. His message had brought eternal security to a nation of people who knew about God, but didn't know God. As he upended the corrupt religious system, those in charge grew increasingly agitated by him. And as we now approach Jesus' final week on earth, we see the quickness in which he went from a hero to a hated one. It's with this backdrop that we meet Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. He had just got done in the previous verses laying out yet another parable to try to help people understand the message of the gospel, understand the way we are called to live our lives, and now The most amazing part of all this that we can't forget is that Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. When I woke up this morning, I have no idea what's going to really take place today. I have plans. I have a schedule set out. We have people we're going to meet with. We have things that we're going to do. But at any given moment, that could rapidly change, for the good or bad. We just don't know. Jesus knew. Jesus was aware it was going to happen as this week rolled out. Now, as we see the stage that's set here in verses 28 and 30, let me read those with you. And we had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. So the stage is starting to be set here. By the way, this is one of just a handful of stories that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. If you want to look up the others, they're in Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, and John 12. We're going to be giving you a lot of extra scripture verses here, so if you have a pen, you might want to pull it out and make some notes. Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 12 all also have this story of the triumphal entry. He had just given the story of the talents, and he's about two miles away from Jerusalem. That's about where he's at. That's where Bethphage and and Bethany are at. They're about two miles away from Jerusalem. Today was Sunday in their calendar. 
And he was about to ride in Jerusalem. And if you think of the week that was in front of him and think about what took place there on Monday, it's on Sunday, he's going into Jerusalem. On Monday, he was going to cleanse the temple, which we're going to hear about next week. On Tuesday, he brought controversy with the religious leadership. On Wednesday, it seems to be, because there's not a lot that's talked about, that that might have been a day of much-needed rest before what was to take place next. Because on Thursday, he prepared for the Passover, and on Friday was his trial and crucifixion, and on Sunday, he rose again from the grave. A busy week. As he approaches that, knows what the week holds, he carries it out just as it had been determined beforehand. As he nears the, the, the city, he sends out two disciples to start the story of what would end up being his crucifixion and his resurrection. A day of different expectations was going to happen as the stage was set, but it's definitely coming into a joint celebration at this point in time. And why was it different expectations? Because different people expected different things of Jesus. Everybody had heard about Jesus. I mean, Israel was not a huge nation. And it was engulfed by the Roman Empire. The one good thing Rome brought was the ability to get the word passed on much quicker than it had before. They had safer roads. The military was more involved, good and bad, with that. There was a closer scrutiny on things. And as a result of that, messages were clearer. Notices were posted in more central locations. So everybody knew who Jesus was. And everybody had a different thought about who Jesus was. Some were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 or the other time as well, the 4,000, and they got free food, and they saw Jesus as this provider. Some saw Jesus when he was able to heal a sick family member or a friend. They heard the story. They saw the person, the guy that couldn't walk and now could, the person who was blind but now could see. And then they saw changed lives, like the woman at the well who understood that Jesus was the Christ. And her life was changed not just physically, but it was radically changed, changed eternally, by what took place in her heart. So it's on that backdrop that all these people come together and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And it's amazing when you think about what takes place here that it has to beg to ask us all a question, which is how do we view Christ? Is Jesus Christ a curse word? Is Jesus Christ the savior of the world or somewhere in between? And as I've said many times when I talk to people, and they like to say, well, Jesus Christ was just, he was a really good teacher. He was a, he was a great prophet. No, Jesus Christ was either the son of God or he was a lunatic. There's no in between. He can't make the claims he made and not just be a good teacher. He was either the Christ or he was a crazy man. So as we enter into verse 30 here, we start to see things unfold. So Jesus sends the two disciples and he says this, going to the village in front of you where on entering you'll find a colt on which no one's ever yet sat. Which by the way, that's important. Don't let that one speak speak by you. We'll be back to that. On which no one's ever sat, untie it and bring it here. Verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? That's a natural question, by the way, to ask. I'm not quite sure how they asked it. You wish you, this is one you wish you could like visualize, you know, see a snapshot in there. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. So now there's a few things I think that are important in this passage of Scripture that we need to pull, point out. The first thing I think that we want to make sure we notice here is that there was a real willingness 
a willingness by everybody involved. I mean, you see a willingness that two disciples didn't go, why us two? I, has anybody ever heard their children say that, why me? Has anybody here ever said, why me? Okay, thank you, Ray, yes. I think we all would have our hands up, right? But the two disciples were sent. You don't see them going, well, how come we got to go and get the cold? I mean, really? That's not fun. How about to go get the food, you know? Go get the fresh bread, go get something. No, you go get the cold. Now, you see, when they got there, that the owners, again, what are you doing? If somebody walked into my driveway and got the keys from my car and got into it and started up and was going to take off, I would ask the same question. And that was their cars back then. You wouldn't just have them get in there and have two guys and go, oh, I'm sure they have a good motivation behind this. I'm sure they're going to do something godly with my car. No, we want to go, hey, yo, what are you doing? That's my car. But you see the immediacy of who, that they knew who Jesus was because when Jesus what name was brought up and who they were bringing it to, they immediately were like, okay, that's fine. Now, they might have thought Jesus was just, again, a rabbi because there was a high regard for rabbis and they did allow them, understood that, hey, they wanted to be generous to them or they might have really known who Jesus was. We don't know, but we see a willingness there that was given. And then you see the colt. Now, I don't ride horses. I did once in my life, actually twice in my life. Once I had a friend that had neighbors that had horses, and I didn't know anything about horses because I grew up in the city. And so he told me, oh yeah, you can ride them, just jump on top of them. He graciously volunteered to get me on the horse. And I did get on the horse. The horse was not keen on me being on it. And the horse started running and you know, moving, making body movements to get me off of the horse, and it worked. I remember holding on, and then the next thing I knew, I was not holding on anymore, and I was in the air thinking, something bad is gonna happen from this. Now, fortunately, I didn't break any bones, but I, I lost a friend that day, let's just say it that way. <laughs> there was one other time, we had one of those trail rides, and that was pretty calm and, and understandable. But I knew from that situation, you can't just ride a horse, especially when it's never been trained to do that. But the colt he got on, which the word colt here, if you read all four of the versions, basically what you're going to see is this was a, a young donkey, okay? Donkeys were a very familiar travel mode back then. And so this was a young donkey. Use the word colt there. Don't think little horse. It's a young donkey in this situation at least. So he got on it. The donkey didn't buck off, and in fact, one of the other parts of the story, you're going to see that, that actually the mother walked along with this donkey. You'll see in one of the other gospel um, narrations of this. So everybody involved in this part of it had a willingness, whatever part they played. Now, we could all say these were insignificant parts, but they weren't. We'll never know the names of the owners of the donkey. We'll never know the name of the donkey, <laughs> We don't even know which disciples did this. But we know that we saw a willingness there, and I just want to encourage all of us here, don't ever think that your part in God's tapestry of the story of his eternal plan is minimal. They're all necessary. He has a plan and a purpose for you, and what you do or don't do may not end you up on the newspaper or in a magazine or getting some sort of an award but if you're pleasing the Lord in what you do, he will always be honored and glorified, and you can have great comfort knowing whatever part you play is for his honor and glory. The second thing I want to point out here is that this animal was chosen, that cho was chosen. It wasn't an accident. This represented something. Jesus rode in on a donkey, not in a steed, not on a horse with power and influence like a mighty warrior and a king usually rides in on. 
but he rode in on a donkey. A sign of a commoner. A king on a donkey would not have been a normal thing to have happen. Remember way back in the story of Mordecai when he had pleased the king by unveiling the plot that was carried out by the, the men that wanted to kill the king? And, and the king went to Haman and goes, hey, what can I do to honor a guy that I want to honor? And, and Haman said, man, you put the you, king's clothes on him and you get your best horse and you have your king's best servant walk in front and say, this is a man that the king wants to honor. And over and over again, as you look through scriptures, kings had horses that were valiant, that were beautiful, that were big, that were powerful. And Jesus came on a donkey. It shows the humility. He was coming in and would end up at the temple because he was going to give spiritual freedom, not military freedom. He didn't go to the capital as he went into Jerusalem. He didn't go to the capital house. He went to the temple. Jesus was bringing them freedom that was much greater than just the tyranny of Rome. We have many brothers and sisters in Christ who are underneath the tyranny of governments that are anti-Christian. But they are still free spiritually because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus brings spiritual victory. Jesus brings spiritual life. Jesus brings spiritual freedom. There are times that we ourselves might be underneath a government that's corrupt, that holds us back from being able to freely worship the way we want to. God will use even that for his honor and glory, but never think that you're in bondage as long as you're free in Christ. As long as you're free in Christ. I think the third thing that we want to point out here from this section is that this, this, this story here fulfilled a prophecy that was written in, Ze well, one of them, but this one in particular, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Don't try to spell that out. Just put Z-E-C if you're going to pronounce, do, you can look it up later. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of, of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, fulfilling scripture. These things were all written in the Old Testament. Why? So the Jews would know who the real Messiah was. But they were so blinded because all around them they saw the, the occupation of Rome oppressing on them. And they were distracted by the Roman government and failed to see the quiet, humble, loving Son of God. What are we distracted by? Even as Christians, where we fail to recognize that about our Savior. So those are a few things that I think are important as we look at that section there. So let's look at verse 36 now. Verse 36. The Bible says this. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all his mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, and glory in the highest. Finally, finally, after so many times when Jesus told the disciples, my time is not yet. Don't go out and tell. Even when he raised some people from their beds of illness and affliction, he'd say, don't go out and tell them who I am. He'd cast out demons and say, don't spread that message of who I am. 
Finally, the disciples were given freedom to be able to publicly say, this is our Messiah. This is Jesus Christ, and he is the Son of God, and he's came to free us from our sins. And they didn't even fully get it, folks. I think many of them, as you're going to continue to read, still thought there was going to be something greater than its religious or, excuse me, spiritual freedom. They were still expecting that military freedom. Maybe they thought both would be hand in hand. I don't know. But they were able to publicly declare who Christ is. Do you forget what a privilege that is? Folks, we can publicly proclaim who Christ is. So why are we so shy about it? Why do we don't want to be caught at work singing a praise song to the Lord? Or in the break room with our Bible? Or interacting in a discussion with a coworker about the gospel? We're so fearful of that. And these disciples finally had a chance to not only themselves lift their voices, but they gathered others around with them who also lifted their voices in praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they laid their cloaks down and others followed their lead. And those that didn't have cloaks laid down branches, all as a red carpet, so to speak, that the king had arrived. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, there was a lot of expectations. They came looking for different things in Jesus. And some of these people, as is often asked, John, how can these people on Sunday be celebrating him as king and then be the one shouting in Pilate's court saying, crucify him. Because the crowd is easily influenced. You notice here the Bible specifically says the disciples led the praising. They were the ones that were the leaders here and the crowd followed along. Because they wanted somebody to free them. They'd seen Jesus as the provider of meals, the healer of lives, the man that raised from the dead. There was certainly something unique about him. So perhaps he is the one that will free us from Roman bondage. But there were those there who also saw him as Savior. There were some that just saw this as just another circus come to town. Another party to jump in on. But always know everybody, the crowd is easily influenced. You know what the crowd is easily influenced? When uneducated. <laughs> we live in a crowd mob mentality world, don't we? Somebody sees something on Facebook and it's fact or on social media, and it's fact. And people don't do the research anymore. And I'm telling you, do the research and find out that Jesus is the Christ that he says he is. He's the Christ that he proclaimed to be. And as the disciples quoted Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 here, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, these were their praises to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Their enthusiasm could finally be made public and they were able to shout and to exhibit it also in the laying down of their cloaks before their Lord. But not everybody was excited, were they? Now we see that in verse number 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, I like that it says that, by the way, it says some of the Pharisees. That lets us know other Pharisees were affected in a different way. I don't know if that means that they knew that Jesus was Savior, but not all of them were affected this way, but some were. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why did they want him to rebuke them? Because they wanted him to say, I'm not Messiah. And I love Christ's response. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
Jesus' entrance was not celebrated by all. In fact, the Jewish leaders were furious. Why would this Jesus take away from one of their biggest festivals and celebrations of the year? They made bank at this time of year. They had more adoration and more lifting up of who they were and their system than at other times of the year. People gathered and spent money and celebrated in crazy ways. How dare he come at all, but especially now. You see, the, plan, the leaders had already had a plan to deal with Jesus after the Passover. If you want to write this verse down, Matthew 26, verses 3 and 5 says this. Matthew 26, 3 to 5. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill them. Now listen to this, verse 5. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Their plan wasn't now. They had stuff going on now. This was not convenient. On top of it, they knew with all the people there, Jesus could really provoke an uproar. And they could turn against them if his message was at all true or wrong true, at least to those that listened. However, God's intention for his son was to have him die at this time of year. To show the world that the Passover, which was a celebration of God's deliverance in Egypt. Remember that? This, the plagues came in Egypt. God, through Moses, was trying to get the Pharaoh's attention that he might turn his people over to, to be free. And Pharaoh kept saying, no, 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 until the last. And God warned the Israelites and said, hey, what you need to do is kill a spotless lamb. He laid out the qualifications for that. And take its blood and put it on the doorpost, the doorframe of your house. So when the death angel passes by, if the blood is there, he'll pass by your home and your family will be spared. But, but, if it's not there, the firstborn of every human and animal will die. And that city, that nation, never experienced the grief that it did on the morning after. When parents went in and found out that they had children that were no longer living, had animals that were no longer living, mysteriously. And the cry of anguish and mourning was so great that even Pharaoh himself finally said, go, leave. And then Pharaoh got back into his rigid ways and pursued the Israelites. The Israelites complained, but God still had a way of deliverance, and he led them across the Red Sea, and the water came back and destroyed the army of Egypt. And the Passover was a celebration of God's deliverance of the people of Israel. But folks, what a greater picture of what Jesus at this time of year, and the reason God wanted him to die now was so they understood that they no longer had to sacrifice sheep and goats and pigeons. They now could, excuse me, doves. They now could understand that Jesus Christ was the sinless sacrifice that broke the chain of it ever needing to be done again. That's why it was important that the crowd was stoked up. That why, that's why it was important that Jesus came now, because God wanted the message to be sent that his son would be the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb of the Passover. 
So their plans had to change. And he brought about our ultimate, ultimate deliverance and brought us the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. And as John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when the Pharisees were ignited in this way, it was purposeful. His death was not to play, take place on their timetable, but on God's. See, God, as you see, and has nature even declare, in fact, screams the powerful, loving, gentle, and sometimes terrible voice of God. And we see it all around us in the nature as the morning explodes with a new sunrise. Giant mountains point to the creator and gentle streams murmur his existence. He is God and he has a plan and here's the best part for each of us. For each of us. Praise God for that. So how can we live out this passage how do we bring it down to where we live in our lives? The first thing I want to encourage you with is live like you believe him. If you're a child of God, do you live like you believe him? Do you live like he's really your savior? Or do you live like, oh, that's Sunday now, I better get to church. Well, I'm not sure if it's convenient, maybe I won't go this week. Because the weather's nice, I should work in the garden. Or, you know, I got my friends I want to get with and... Oh, I can't talk about that way in front of them because they might get offended by the gospel. And we think through this lens of our fears and our expectations instead of what Christ has laid out for us. Folks, this world is hurting. This world's hopeless. And they need the message of the gospel. And we are the ones that are to carry out that message. So live like you believe him. Learn to offer praise to him. This is the one that struck me as I was reading this passage and punched me in the face and I'm looking and I'm going, wow, you know, how often do I just stop and praise God? I so often just live my life and fail to recognize the way God takes care of me. We have a little dog, which most of you have seen, Chloe. She's like a seven, eight pound, you know, they call her a jug, a Jack Russell pug mix, Okay. And, and I, the dog, I mean, every time I come home, you'd act like, you know, I'd left the dog for 16 weeks or something like that. And when the dog's hungry, she tries to make sure I know that her dog food is empty or her water is empty. She'll stand by the bowl looking at me or come to the chair and like, excuse me. She lives this life. I, and, and when I leave sometimes, this is one of the worst things, when I leave sometimes, she'll like stand at the window and look at me. And I'm like, oh man, I feel horrible. I'm leaving the dog there. Yeah, I know I'm pathetic. I understand that. But you know what, it reminded me as I was pulling out the other day, I thought, you know what, why doesn't she know I'm coming back? Just go lay down, enjoy the sun. You got an easy life. I feed you, I water you, I take you for walks, I clean up after you, I mean, for cotton picking's sake. I mean, you can enjoy life. You have toys to play with, you are loved, you are petted, my house has fur all over to show that. But you know what, we're just like my dog. We know God's gonna take care of us, but we're worried about tomorrow's meal. We know God's going to take care of us, but worry about getting our water bowl filled. We're afraid he might not come back again. And we live too often in fear instead of expectation. And if we live in expectation, praise comes a lot quicker than when we live in fear all the time. Because we live in fear, we're constantly thinking, but God, will you? Can you? 
But we live in expectation. It's, I know you will. I know you can. So let's live a life like that by praising God in the way that we live our life. Let those praise songs enter our heart and come out of our mouth, off or on tune. Let's get in the word. Let's be joyful and excited about the fact that we live and serve a risen Savior. Learn to offer praise to him. And then let the world know. Like we saw the crowds with Jesus. Some rejoiced. They knew who he was. Some did not understand. And some outright rejected him. And folks, my burden continues to grow, and you're going to continue to hear this, is that we want to see this world impacted because we're sharing the gospel with the lost. That's not what you pay me to do. That's what we're all called to do. Now, I need to be an example of that. But we all need to be praying for those opportunities that other people can hear the amazing message that there is hope in him alone. Now, what they do with it, that's up to them. But don't allow the fear of their response to prevent you from sharing the message of his hope. The message of his hope. So I want to encourage all of you as we close this service, would you pray and ask the Lord to have one person this week that it would be a parent that you can share the gospel with? Ask God to keep your eyes open to that person that you can be deliberate about and not avoid an opportunity to be a gospel witness to? I encourage you to do that. If you don't do anything else, pray that way, would you, as we wrap up today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being willing to send your son to die for us. Lord, I fear that we hear that so often that we fail to recognize the horrificness of what took place that we could have life and the brilliance of what took place that we could have life. So Lord, help us to be more aware of the fact that this is an amazing gift. And as we got to go over the story of your son entering into Jerusalem and the lessons that we can learn from it, I pray, God, that you would just give us a a passion, Lord, to live our lives in ways that we can be like the disciples, willing to celebrate that you're our king, that we have life eternal. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to be here. I pray we as a church would be engaged, Lord, in ways that we can share the gospel openly and fervently, Father, and live lives that are rooted in who you are as a result of the relationship we have with your son. In your precious name, amen.